Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told in the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here, hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred, and that great theme music's by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater, kicking off our month of February here on the show. And we're excited to, to be doing something different, launching a new uh, what we hope to be an annual series or theme kind of thing here. Um, you know, we've we've done that. Um, October is always the Halloween month, and November tends to be, you know, more horror month. And uh, then December goes in the holidays, and then it's sort of a mixed bag the rest of the year. Well, uh, sci-fi February, how does that go with you? Um, science fiction shows throughout the month of February, and you know what, we're going to extend it into March. So for the next two months, I uh, hope you want to get your science fiction fixed because... Uh, that's what we're going to have coming to you. Uh, first, uh, we'll be doing two independent podcasts uh, for the next two weeks. Or actually, excuse me, the first month of this series is going to be independent projects. First, Edict Zero, uh, which is our feature today, a new CSI-esque uh, science fiction crime story type of show. Um, that is by Slipgate 9 Entertainment and has several uh, guest voice actors from other shows whose names might become familiar. Uh, first, before we get into the, our feature, I want to feature Captain Radio. Um, now, we always promise we do reviews on the show. We don't always have them. And hopefully, uh, Captain Radio, that is a.k.a. Richard Summers, our new guest contributor slash reviews guy for the show, uh, will be here contributing uh, new reviews each week. Uh, those reviews will help cover um, all the material out there. There are dozens of shows which I've heard of and like and don't always get to fit on this show because of the you know restrictions and the amount of shows that I can uh, physically fit um, on the on the podcast each week. So we're going to try and expose you to some new shows and also some shows by original uh, new artists, stuff that uh, maybe isn't quite ready to be on the main broadcast feed of Radio Drama Revival but um, is worth of your attention and checking out if you're interested. Uh, this week, Captain Radio brings you something from MIT, something about the future. Here we go. Greetings, Audionauts. Captain Radio here with a review of The Heated Future, a timely tale. In 2002, MIT created the Terrascope Project to engage freshmen in confronting and resolving complex system problems through integrating science, engineering, and most uniquely, the humanities. One Terrascope group employed this multidisciplined approach to create an audio docudrama describing a carbon pollution solution. A little background. In 2009, Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan declared that Abu Dhabi would function on 7% green energy by the year 2020. The Crown Prince held up Mazdar, the world's first carbon-neutral city, quietly championed earlier among many Middle Eastern royals by Britain's Prince Charles as the symbol of Abu Dhabi's commitment and, as we'll see, the chosen subject matter of our docudrama. While traversing their corner of the expanding 22nd century urban desert, three chronically heat-exhausted teens, Ignatius, Avi, and Rundle, one day encounter a strange, large, glowing metallic shell. Inside, they predictably press a mysterious large red button. Lights flicker, electronic effects bristle, and moments later, the three emerge into a cooler desert of a bygone era, having immaculately clean air. At once, a humorous and impatient native bus driver appears to whisk them off on a tour of nearby gleaming Mazdar. Though the Terrascope novice producers managed to keep our intrepid time travelers visible, the remainder of the short docudrama features sound bites from Mazdar scientists, engineers, and public relations personnel, as well as local citizens and tourists. Here's an example of overhearing on the bus tour. This, this is probably one of the most important architectural commissions in the world in, in terms of what it's trying to do. Here you've got a city, uh, you know, trying to, and doing everything from first, first principles, building a whole city as, as a sustainable city. That's quite, a, that's quite an achievement. 
After much more of this reflective ebullience, interrupted briefly when a surprisingly articulate barfly discounts theories of carbon emission doom and gloom, the three teens realize the true importance of Mazdar. So this city's like an experiment? That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it seems like these people are trying to prevent some future catastrophe. They're trying to prevent our future. That's so weird. I mean, I just always assumed that the way we lived was the only way it could ever be. While the crafting of this first effort features subtle but definite rough edges, I applaud the novel notion of using audio docudrama to create a mildly entertaining essay on the reality problems the Terrascope students confronted. Indeed, this unusual approach allowed them efficiently to express well both fact and feeling in a surprisingly balanced manner. You can hear MIT's Terrascope freshman student production of The Heated Future, A Timely Tale, on the first sound channel at CaptainRadio.com. Until next time, Audionauts, this is Captain Radio. Signing off. Thank you, Captain Radio, for that review. CaptainRadio.com. And, and do uh, check out the site to get the links to learn more about that work if you're interested. Um, all right. So back to the feature today, Science Fiction February. Today's work, Edict Zero. Um, and then later in the month, we'll be featuring another uh, new project called the Witch Hunter Chronicles. Uh, Witch Hunter Chronicles, okay, so it's maybe a bit more on the fantasy bent than science fiction, but let's, let's be honest, there's is a lot of crossover between the two genres and uh, can't, hard to separate the two of them. Uh, so another opportunity to hear a original, um, independent work um, in the podcast arena all this month, and then we'll be going into some more professional grade work and other stuff as we get into March. But uh, first, whew, first episode of Edict Zero, um, this I have left in the harsh language does have a couple S bombs and even an F bomb in there. So uh, I guess this is probably not qualified as safe for work, though uh, it's not that offensive. Though to be honest, it's not uh, that much more uh, sundry than your typical main. Uh, though to be honest, it's really not much more controversial than your average uh, network TV show nowadays. So, um, anyways, uh, Edict Zero. Uh, Soaring Entertainment, here we go, Slipgate 9, enjoy. The following audio presentation may contain mature language, situations, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. nightclub corner of 18th and main street center city wednesday december 31st 
Say, how can you see with those sunglasses on at night? You should see what I see. What's that? You're drunk. What you see is me, man. Ain't I beautiful? <laughs> you are a nothing with eyes. Excuse me? What do you mean by that? At least I got eyes and I'm not hiding them behind them cheap ass shades. Do you want me to remove them? Man, do whatever you... Oh, man. What the... <laughs> the eyes are the windows of the soul. Look into mine. What do you see? Okay, man, I get you. Okay, man, I get you. God. God, put the shades back on. Put the shades back on. What do you see through my windows? My truth or yours? Put the shades back on. Okay, put the shades back on. You can put the shades back on. That's messed up. That's messed up. You keep your freak ass away from me! Freak ass away from me! Sir, I'm gonna have to ask you to hold it there and back up. We'll fill the capacity tonight and the line starts a block down that way. So unless you have a pass, I suggest... I have an appointment with Mr. Tonell. Junior? Senior. Big boss, huh? What's your name? Last name, Cook. First name... Mr. Mr. Cook. Yes. Mr. Cook. What's in the briefcase? Business. Not yours. Everything that comes through these doors is my business. But as I see now, it doesn't matter. Because I don't have you on my list here. How fortunate for us. Such records would be prohibitive. The nature of my business with Mr. Tunnell is mutually sensitive. It is unfortunate for you, however, as your boss will find my delay upsetting and may handle the cause of it harshly. All right. Wait right here. Louie, come here and watch this guy. Sure thing. Does he do tricks? Sometimes. Lay off the commentary. He may be here for the boss. Stevie, I got a, I got a query for security. You need to ring somebody upstairs for this. I got a guy here wanting in. He says he's got an appointment with Big Jake. Says his name's Mr. Cook. No first name, I guess. Can anybody verify? Yeah, Steve, I'll check it out. Hold on. Hey, you can't park here, buddy. Can't you read the... Can't you read the sign? Yeah, you're not the only one. I'm sorry. I should have worked Christmas instead of this craziness. Never doing New Year's again. Steve. Yeah? Give me a description of this Mr. Cook. A description? Well, he's tall. He's got long dark hair, he's wearing a suit and an overcoat, sunglasses, he's carrying a briefcase, which I haven't checked yet. He's hard to miss, he's standing next to Louie. You'll see him on Monitor 4. I only see Louie. Well, you must be looking in the wrong place, because the guy's right there. Hello? Steve, he's clear for entry. Disregard the briefcase. Come again. The briefcase is clear for entry. Send the man in. Have him go to VIP room three and they'll send somebody down, okay? Yeah, I got it. All right, Mr. Cook, you're clear. I'm gonna ask you to proceed to VIP room three all the way in the back. Once you pass through the lobby or by the dance floor and the first counter, you see a... Uh, I know where to go. Of course. If you're friends with Big Jake, you've been here before. We are not friends, but I know where to go. Okay. Enjoy your night and have a happy New Year.
this way, please. When are entering the court room, where a servant knight is janitor. This room is reserved for special guests of this establishment, where hospitality is our main concern and drinks are on the house. Here you will find an extensive selection I am of not interested in a tour, and I do not drink. Can we at least interest if you? If Mr. Tornell is busy, we can reschedule. No, that won't be necessary. Um, I'm sure Mr. Tornell will be ready for you in the parlor by the time we make it up there. Come this way, please. I apologize. I was given no instructions about greeting you. By the way, my name is Teo. A fine name for a tacked toe. Pardon me? I'm not interested in a conversation with you. Must we become friends for me to see Mr... No, sir, I apologize. Is Mr. Cook with you? Yes, sir. Right behind me. Ah, Mr. Cook, good to see you again. Security had such a hard time tracking you through the club that I questioned whether I had to keep him on staff. We were beginning to wonder if you were really here. Oh, I am here. That'll be all, Theo. Let me be the first to welcome you to the new year. I can't think of no better way to bring in 2415 than with some good old-fashioned business between two gentlemen who each has something that the other wants. Isn't that right? I want the girl. Easy there. You're cramping my good spirits. It's a night of celebration. With the new year comes an array of wonderful possibilities. Opportunities, too, for you and I. Melissa Parker. Well, I can respect a man who wants to get right down the business. <clears throat> I have her. I presume you have the, uh, the item we discussed in that briefcase of yours. I do. Would you like to see it? I certainly would. I would like to see the girl. Very well. And just so we can keep our good spirits here, I'd prefer not to know what you're uh, gonna do with her. I would not dream of telling you. Curly, bring her in. Acquiring this uh, wasn't easy. The acquisition of anything of worth never is. Agreed. Come here, child. I will not hurt you. Come, it's okay. I've brought Mr. Tonell a present, and I have brought a present for you too. It's a wonderful present, I promise. I can show you a place where you'll never be scared again. Not ever again. Come, it's okay. That's right, yes, that's right. And the, uh, <clears throat> and the, uh, item, Mr. Cook. In exchange for Melissa here, you... Yes, the briefcase. It is yours. Get it, Curly. It's almost over, I promise. Oh, I've waited so long for this. I'm going to take your hand now. Don't be afraid. What? This isn't what we agreed on! This isn't what I asked for! What's the meaning of this, Cook? What the hell is this thing? It's a bomb. It's a... Boom. 
You are listening to Edict Zero, FIS, the science fiction audio drama series starring James Keller, Julie Holverson, Bill Rossi, Russell Gold, Tanya Milojevic, and creator Jack Kincaid. This is an NBS special news report. I'm Spencer Holt for NBS News. There's been an explosion in the mainland at a nightclub in Center City. We now join Nigel Ethelberg, who is on the scene. The new year has come to Center City on a grim note. Just minutes after the ball dropped in Russell Park, an explosion ripped through the Vortex nightclub, as you see behind me here. This scene is utter chaos. There are multiple casualties speculated to be in the dozens, while the wounded may extend into the hundreds. They've been rushed out non-stop for the past 15 minutes we've been here near the corner of Main and 18th Street. The streets are littered with debris and broken glass, and the blast knocked out the power for blocks around. They're cordoning off the area around as they get the ambulances in and out, and we have members from every law enforcement agency swarming in to take stock of just what happened here. The authorities are clearing people off the streets here as we speak, and it's only a matter of I'm time sorry, before we're forced. But you need to move your broadcast down the road behind the line until we've assessed that the danger's passed. I'm going to have to ask you to pack up your gear and clear away for your own safety. Here we have a member of the FIS. What can you tell us about what happened tonight? Was this the result of some kind of accident? Was it terrorism? Where did the blast originate? We will Where? release information as soon as it's available. I just got here myself. What I can tell you is that this area is not secure, and the threat to life may be ongoing. Please clear the area. Where are the locals? Lucas, get them the hell out of here. God damn it, not how I wanted to spend New Year's Eve. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but I have strict orders to keep out all but essential personnel to this scene. I'm Agent John Braddock, commander of the FIS Tactical Unit 9, most of whom are securing that building right now with your local boys, who called for an assist. Now it's you who's assisting us, as this has been deemed a federal matter. Until I've conducted a thorough threat assessment, this is my scene, officer. My scene. Those orders to keep out all but essential emergency personnel were my orders. We could stand here and argue about this, but those are my men in there, and I got work okay, to do. Okay, okay, I gotta calm down. I didn't need a speech. Feds have serious dispositions, you know that? Go ahead. Let me get this straight. All anyone has to do is march up here with some bravado and using a voice of authority, and you'll let them pass into my scene without checking identification? All right, I'll need your identification. Here it is. We're clear. Protocol officer. Now, I know in the midst of all this excitement and chaos that it's easy for the basics to slip people's minds, which is why I'm asking you, officer, to be in charge of maintaining the integrity of this scene. By reminding your fellow officers to not let such slips occur, can you do that for me? Sure thing. Thank you, sir. Well, a happy new year to you, too. There's nothing new about it. If you've seen one year, you have seen them all. They're all the same. Wilson, status report. Almost all of the wounded have been taken out. There's just a few left that the bioscans picked up just before the evacuation is complete. The building's secure, but the structure itself, maybe not so much. We don't have enough data about its structural integrity. The local technical rescue team is trying to locate the city engineer. As far as we know, the building is there on the line. It might hold. On the other hand, the whole damn thing might come down on us any minute. The scans are inconclusive. That's very reassuring, Wilson. I did pick up elevated radiation levels, still within safe limits. Probable causes are being looked into. Ground zero for the blast was on the second floor, most of which is now on the first floor. It was a bomb, but we have not identified the type. The damage and pattern has the eggheads mystified. You'll have to see for yourself, it's a real mess. We have a lot of casualties here, and what's left of them? Damn it. 
Once the victims and medical responders are cleared out, I want everybody to fall back until we know this building is gonna stay upright. We've had enough tragedy for one morning, and when I say non-essential personnel, I mean it. Safety now, investigation later. The evidence isn't going anywhere except- I tried to tell Agent Garrett that, but he would not Garrett. Be... Agent Nick Garrett. Uh, yeah. He came on the scene as an AIC, but his supervisor knows nothing oh, about it. Damn and there's disagreement on which unit is heading the case. I know his supervisor, and I know Nick Garrett. I also know that right now this is my scene, until I've completed my assessment and conferred with the CCFD. You have your orders. As for Garrett, he's out of line. Where the hell is he? Through there where the first dance floor used to be. Watch yourself or you'll be dancing in the basement. If Garrett isn't careful, I might throw him in the basement. Agent Garrett? Agent Nick Garrett? Agent Nick Garrett? It's on this case more time. Agent Wakeman, the building is unstable. Clear out. Have you seen Agent Nick Garrett? He's back there jeopardizing my case by sticking yeah, thank you. I'll take this straight. Holy hell, will you look at that? That damn bomb blew off half the roof. Brett, stop. Agent Garrett. Stop! Halt! You're about to fall through the floor. Stop and shine your light down. Oh, huh. That would have been ugly. Well, I can't blame you for being distracted. It's a clear, beautiful night. It's perfect. All the stars out and the field isn't too bright. It's just right. Agent Garrett. Agent Garrett, huh? What happened to Nick? You can call me Nick. We used to be friends, remember? Used to be. You need to clear out right now. You can take all the pictures you want you after. Know, there was a philosopher named Thales. Maybe the first of the great ones. It's said that he was walking in a field one night and he was so preoccupied with the view of the stars that he didn't watch where his feet were going. He fell down a well. This structure is unstable, as you've noticed. I'm ordering you out. For once in your life, do not be a pain in my it ass. It might have been fitting if you had fallen through the floor while you were staring up at a moon named Thales. It wasn't named after the philosopher, of course. At least I don't think it was. I wasn't distracted by the damn moons. I was distracted by my aggravation with you. You have 20 seconds to clear out or I'll clear you out myself. And that's not something that you want. You and your macho bullshit. The origin of the blast is about 20 feet over our heads and the blast pattern looks to be symmetrical. I'm no bomb expert, but I've seen no evidence of soot or damage from fire or heat, except from the voltage surge through the electrical furnishings. The secondary explosions reported were caused by an electromagnetic pulse, which I'd bet is largely responsible for the power outage. Somebody detonated an EMP device? But that wouldn't cause... No, I think it's the effect of another event that happened just before the bomb went off and it caused a disturbance with the magnetic fields. We could be talking milliseconds. Do you have a compass? No, I'm, I'm not playing this game with you. I'm glad you're figuring this all out and I congratulate you. But this is a dangerous situation. People are still dying and the threat of structural collapse is real. My job in this situation is Look to the make edges sure- of the hole through the floors. You'd expect metal to be warped down like that from a shockwave, but not up toward the blast. Not wood, nor concrete. You can't warp matter like that without breaking it. Not instantaneously. That's it. I'm coming around the hole. Also, look at the debris. The lack of variety. Everything within the blast radius was shredded with equal efficiency. It doesn't matter what it was made of. Wood, metal, flesh, bone, all the same. It affected it just the same. It's too efficient. Let's go. Though if I had my way, I'd leave you in here so you'd stop wasting my time and I'd just pick you out of the rubble later. You are disturbing evidence. And quite frankly, at this point, you're disturbing me. It's good to know that some things never change. Oh, shit. That's why I took pictures. It's time to leave. Shit! Evacuate! Evacuate! Bill is coming down! The building's coming down! 
Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. I want everybody at least 50 feet from that building, and I want confirmation that everybody made it out of there before it came down. Anybody caught in the rubble may still be alive. I want a bioscan from Ariel right now. I thought this was a thing left to the history books on old Earth. Who the hell would do this? The religious nutcases, the anti-prostitution activists, the mob? Who'd be stepping up their game like this? All those people on New Year's, son of a bitch. There hasn't been an act of terrorism like this ever, not in this world. I don't think it's terrorism. What the hell else would you call it? I don't know yet. Bioscan on target is negative. Previous scan comparisons show no lost hits. All accounted for. Oh, thank God. Uh, a 10-4 to there. I think I know who did this, Braddock. I know who did this. Center City Police Department. January 1st, 2415. Time, 3.03 a.m. Can you tell me who was on the second floor where the blast originated and what was going on What up happens there? upstairs stays upstairs. I'm a downstairs guy. I like being a downstairs guy. I don't ask what goes on up there and they don't tell. Tell me your name again. Steve Volks, B-O-L-K-S. I work security at the Vortex and I was manning the door when it happened. We'd reached maximum occupancy and we had a rowdy crowd outside wanting what in. What other security measures did you have in place? Surely you have ID chip scanners implemented? Yes, there were ID scanners. That's not a relevant detail. The electromagnetic pulse would have wiped out all the data from the entry logs when it fried all the electronics, which Excuse are now me, buried. I'm trying to take a statement here. Who the hell are you? I'm Special Agent Nick Garrett from the FIS, and I'm just trying to keep you from wasting your time, officer. Also, the bad guys tend to pass on the ID implants or carve them out of their arms, as you know. What bad guys? Uh, Mr. Volks, is it? I understand from other witnesses that you had an unusual occurrence shortly before midnight. You had an unusual guest? I sure did, but he wasn't my guest. He was a guest of Big Jake's, and he did go upstairs. He was wearing a suit, a long coat, and he had a briefcase. I wanted to check, but security said it was clear. No one checked the briefcase. Why wouldn't they want you it to check it? It happens sometimes when it's business of Big Jake's, you know, something sensitive that we ought not to know or about. Or something illegal, say drugs. I know nothing about any of that. But you know there's a that to know about, hey, Mr. Volks? Are you saying that I let a bomb through the door in that briefcase? God, don't tell me that. I have friends dying there. Was anything else unusual about the guest? Did he give a name? He gave me a name, but not a real one. He said it was Mr. Cook, no first name. And what wasn't unusual about him, he was acting all cryptic and getting snotty with me for doing my job. Then the guys inside who watch the monitors tell me they can't see him where he's standing right there. Interesting. Long hair and sunglasses. That's right, sunglasses at night. It's a wonder he could see. But he could see fine no matter what others might have told you, he wasn't blind. Man had eyeballs in his freaking head. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> when he first walked up, he was talking to somebody. You know, who is this somebody? Names, Mr. Let him finish. I don't know who it was. He was drunk and loud. You ask around, somebody's got to know a guy that freaking obnoxious. But as I was saying, I heard a reaction from the other people waiting out there before this guy, this, this Mr. Cook, approached the doors. I wondered what was up with that, but I kind of forgot about it. And this is the crazy part. People told me that they saw him remove his shades for a moment and there was nothing underneath them. They said he didn't have no eyes. There are optical implants which can take no, the no. place- No, no, they said there was nothing there. They was just holes in his face, flesh, gross shit, it's bullshit. They were seeing things. 
trick of the bad light and in the way the shadows fell. Something, I don't know. Did you at any point see his eyes? I only saw the shades, but I didn't need to see what was behind him to know that he had eyeballs in his head. He wasn't blind, but yeah, ask the people. They'll be eager to tell you all about it like they did me. That's what they said. Crazy, isn't it? They said he had no eyes. FIS Headquarters. Capital Square. Time, 9.03 a.m. For the sake of those agents in from other offices, and new agents among us in this room who were unfortunate enough to begin their first field assignments today, I am Assistant Director Alan Dockstader. Director Phelps has mobilized all available resources to investigate this morning's atrocity at the Vortex nightclub in Center City. An incident which in one full swoop has earned itself the distinction of being the deadliest criminal act in the history of the New World. This was no accident. This was a bomb. Which at last count has left 252 people wounded and 81 dead, most of whom were innocent citizens out celebrating the New Year. We have reason to believe that those closest to the blast on the second floor of the building were vaporized. We're in the process of gathering the necessary intelligence to estimate how many. We know one of the casualties to be one of our own from our organized crime division, an agent who sacrificed two years of his life with his wife and children to conduct a deep undercover operation to assess the full extent of Jacob Tonell's criminal enterprises. We believe this incident is related, but we had no intelligence to anticipate anything of the magnitude we have seen this morning. I give the floor to the AIC of the OCDP program, Special Agent Paul Wakeman, who will brief you on what we know so far. Well, thank you, Assistant Director. The last contact from our fallen agent codenamed Drifter was on December 14th after two months of silence. The bad guys have access to all the same communication and detection technologies used by us, which makes these operations challenging at best. Any direct exchanges of information are as difficult as they are dangerous for an undercover employee, who could be dead with one wrong step. We've known for some time of Jacob Tonell Sr.'s involvement in the illicit drug trade. We've had more than enough documented evidence to convict him even before the seizure of three of his warehouses just hours ago. He was a minor player compared to what we most wanted him for, the illegal manufacturing of firearms for civilian use, which means more weapons in the hands of the criminals and the more difficult... Oh, Agent Garrett. Hmm, how good of you to grace us with your presence. I'm sorry I'm late. I didn't mean to interrupt. Please, go on. Yes, Agent Whiteman. Do proceed. With the rise of the gun rights movement and the growing demand on the streets, the business of guns has never been more lucrative. The underground market is widespread and competitive. The territory is guarded jealously. We believe that territory is what this morning's incident was all about. I'd like to direct your attention to the screen here. These are stills taken from public cameras in South Gannontown, where a meeting took place two days ago. This occurred on a private property owned by Tonell outside a previous residence. We anticipated this event and panned the nearest cameras toward the site. What you see here are digitally enhanced zooms from between 150 and 300 meters distance. To the right, around the black car, we see Jake Tonell Sr. with his advisor, George Kinley, and two lieutenants waiting for the other silver car to pull in. We've identified this as a 2411 Ares Continental registered to Ian Bateman, a great-nephew of the elder chieftain Seamus McCrin of the criminal bloodline. 
They too are heavy into the guns throughout North Island and down into the Army mainland. Pardon me, Agent Wakeman, but I wonder hmm. if you've considered... I'll take questions after, Agent Garrett. Now, through facial recognition technology, we've confirmed that two of the three men who step out of the Continental to be known McCrin soldiers. The other is unmistakable, Dunham McCrin, a key chief of the clan. We have him clearly from three angles, here, here, and here. As he is approaching Tonell with his hand Agent out. Agent Wakeman? Uh, excuse me. I, I'm sorry, but would you stop for a moment and back up the images, please? Hmm, um, sure, I can do that. I apologize if I advance through them too quickly, Agent Kritchner, is it? It's Kircher. I would like to see the side angle on the Silver Aries when they're leaving the vehicle. This one? No, there was another where I saw that one. Please hold that for a moment, if you don't mind. Is there something in this image There's which... a girl in the back seat. Have you identified her? Hmm. Let me see. Uh, let me see. She's not there willingly. I wouldn't jump to such presumptions on the basis of one still agent, Kircher. We believe she may be the daughter of one of the men present or connected to the McCrins in some way. However, we don't believe that her presence is significant to our investigation. She looks scared. We did note the same. Uh, while this detail is interesting, it's um, extraneous, uh, outside of our focus. Detail? Excuse me? I apologize, Agent Wakeman. Continue. Thank you, Agent Kircher. Your attention to detail is to be commended. Now, here we see Jacob Tonell and Dunham McCrin, two major players in the weapon trade, entering the building. Agent Grifter tipped us off to this meeting and chatter within Tonell's organization about a partnership with the McCrins. It can't be emphasized enough how devastating of a blow this could be for the Big V, the Tridon of the East Island crime families who've been losing market territory in recent years. They've been in a power struggle with Tonell, who broke their 40-year hold on Center City and everything east of the shore through undercutting their greed-driven prices and eroding their enforcer power through his political influence in the mainland. Up to now, this has been a quiet war in the shadows of our cities. We believe this morning's explosion was the culmination of the feud between Tonell and the Big V, who meant to send a message loud and clear to Tonell's successors, to the McCrins, to the entire underworld, that they... I have a question. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt again. Somehow I doubt that, Agent Garrett, and I did say that I would take questions after. Special Agent Garrett. I hope for your sake and the sake of every agent in this room that you have a good reason to disrupt this important briefing beyond the unduly shows of disrespect for which you have become known. I believe I do, Assistant Director, and I mean no disrespect to this case or to Agent Wakeman. Then please allow This me is your area of expertise, Agent Wakeman, and I would never disavow you of that, but even you would have to admit that this would be uncharacteristic of the East Island mob. They're very careful. If they weren't, you would have knocked down their house of cards a long time ago. They handle their problems quietly and cautiously. This bombing doesn't fit their I MO. was unaware that they moved you from the cold case broom closet to my department to undermine my investigations with trivialities and uninformed presuppositions. And there are several well-documented cases where they have used explosives to eliminate targets. Not this brazen scale where so many innocent people end up dead and not this specific type of explosive which we haven't even identified. Is there any evidence directly linking the blast to them? Need I remind you that much of that evidence, including the bomb fragments, are buried in a mountain of rubble which is being sifted through at this moment. Need I remind both of you agents where you are. This is a stressful time for all of us, and we all want to get to the bottom of this. While I admire the spirit I see in this you room, You won't find I... any fragments from this bomb. It leaves not a trace of it behind. 
I've seen this before in an explosion two months ago in a deserted area of Lloydtown in Excuse South Island. Excuse me, Agent Garrett. I know you didn't just interrupt me. Actually, I did, Assistant Director, but with good cause. The blast damage from the Lloydtown explosion matches what I observed inside the Vortex nightclub and the description of a man who came to see Jacob Tonell minutes before this morning's explosion, down to the briefcase he carried. This man identified himself as Mr. Cook. I apologize, fellow agents. For the sake of context, witnesses at the nightclub did mention a man arriving to meet Jacob Tonell just before midnight. However, we have no reason to believe that there's any connection. Jacob Tonell, having guests for business or pleasure, was too common of an occurrence to differentiate this one as even mildly remarkable. There is nothing there to compare. Bob us. Damage is unique. I brought with me a notebook drive with the photos of the damage in the nightclub which I took before the building collapsed, and photos from the Lloydtown scenes, which you will see if you let me plug it in. I've had enough of this, Garrett. I will not have you hijacked. I am open to properly presented evidence which helps shed light on this incident, but there is a matter of protocol which is not being observed. I agree that we should maintain the focus of this briefing from the Organized Crime Division, whose relevance in this case is beyond question, given the players in this incident. Agent Wakeman, you may continue. Special Agent Garrett, I need to have a word with you in the hall. Right now. Yes, sir. Follow me, please. We're already in the hall, sir. That was an order, Agent, and the hall isn't good enough. The extent to which I'm about to holler at you requires distance. So you're really going to belt it out, aren't you? I do believe I am. Your supervisor's assistant director, Ross Brindley? It is now. I did report to ASAC James Sheldon. Next week, who knows? Assistant director Brindley is pushing to have me reassigned or dismissed as I am currently under eval. I cannot imagine for the life of me why. Into the conference room, please. Now. Now would you kindly explain what the hell you thought you were doing back there? I was doing my job, Assistant Director. I understand that organized crime is Agent Wakeman's experience, and it's through the filter of that experience which he makes his assessment. But there's no evidence to support- Whatever differences you and Agent Wakeman may have, it would behoove you both to remember that there's a time and a place for such things. This isn't the time. In the sure as hell wasn't the place. I don't know what the history is between you two, and frankly, I don't give a good goddamn. Because that's a matter for your own time and dime. Do you understand? I understand that, sir, and I have nothing against Agent Wakeman except that he's wrong. At least he's wrong to focus all the department's resources on one angle when there's others to consider. And a dangerous situation like this should be considered. That is not his decision, Agent Garrett. It's mine. If you have a problem with how this investigation is handled, then I'm the one you take that up with. Do you honestly believe that given the track record and associations of this Jacob Tonell, that this incident wasn't mob-related? I do not presuppose it isn't, sir. And without evidence to tell us otherwise, Agent Wakeman shouldn't either. I believe the bomb entered that building in a briefcase carried by a man who could have acted alone. I have evidence from a scene in Lloydtown where a similar bomb was detonated by the same man. There is a connection which Agent Wakeman has so far refused to acknowledge. And by doing so, he is mishandling this case. Yes, I believe that. AIC Wakeman is among the most valuable agents the FIS has. His successes in his field speak for themselves, and he is incorruptible, which as everyone knows cannot be said of his predecessor. Despite our best efforts, the public distrust in our OCDP program still remains from the scandal and shakeup from 10 years ago. 
And no matter how much progress is made, we're accused of being soft and organized crime. We're just now making headway in the public perception of us. The absolute last thing that that program of this department needs is you up there running your mouth and casting doubt on the work that Agent Wakeman does. Accept my apologies. I don't think I took the best approach. I don't think you were thinking at all, Agent Garrett. Let me tell you something about Agent Wakeman. He's devoted his career to exposing the crimes of the East Island families and has inflicted such grave injury to their pursuits that for the first time in half a century, they fear us. You think about that for a moment. These are men who otherwise fear nothing. They fear him. Which is why they wouldn't do this and not to this scale. The man who caused that explosion knew the damage it would cause from having tested it in Lloydtown. I believe that was a test. He also knew the nightclub was loaded with innocent people. There's no way the Big V would have condoned that. There's more to lose than to gain. They would have known that they would have been the primary suspect and that the public outcry which would result from killing a hundred citizens would give us a mandate. One that Agent Wakeman would exploit to go after them like never before. That's the last thing they would want and that's exactly what Agent Wakeman is going to do. You and I both know I it. I don't approve of your usage of the word exploit in this context. I'm sure Agent Wakeman believes that they are responsible, but the odds are against him being right. It doesn't make sense, unless the McCrins or some other group is behind it in hope of framing the Big V. All I know is this man, Mr. Cook, and the two incidents are the only solid lead there is right now. I don't think that we can afford not to follow it. Unless you consider it an acceptable risk that while you have the full weight of the FIS occupied fighting a mob war, this man is still out there with an unknown agenda and more bombs which could go off anywhere. Where next? Another nightclub? Capitol Square? A school full of children? If you're trying to manipulate me with alarmist I'm call. trying to find the truth, Assistant Director. That's why I joined the FIS. The point is, we don't know this man's intentions. Until we do, anything goes. You'd better get your ducks in a row, Agent Garrett. Make it good. I will expect you in my office tomorrow morning with your report. Six o'clock sharp, my office. Until then, you're an authorized member of the task force with full access. That will be all. Thank you, sir. This is Assistant Director Doc Stater. Put me through to Assistant Director Brindley. New Westmont FIS Field Office. Second floor. Time. 1.24 p.m. Good afternoon, Agent Kircher. Good afternoon. Wow, Agent Camden. This may be the first time I've seen you in a suit. Now, Jules, the important thing is, is that I don't have to see it. And how many times have I told you to call me Arthur? Have a heart and soften up to an old man. It would be ageist to treat you differently. Besides, haven't you heard? 70s and the new 40. Well, that figures. I'm always being marked down. If it's not one way, it's another. I'm used in abused goods. So, what's the occasion? I'm getting married. Really? I had no idea. Why didn't you tell me? Who's the lucky lady? Well, you are if you'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I like you too much to subject you to that. I'd make you miserable. You deserve better than that, Arthur. Ah, you're deflecting, but that's all right. You called me Arthur. That's a start. 
you're giving me hope to hold on to. There's still time. I got the best years ahead of me yet. 70's the new 40, right? I'll keep a light on for you, Agent Camden. Now you're being a tease. And I'm wearing the suit because I'm due in court down the street to testify at 2.30. Another of those conspiracy theorist hacker fruit balls. Ah, uh, your favorite. These cybercrime cases all end the same, but yes, I wish I had a hundred more of them. When I get down to a handful, I worry about starving. I like it busy. From the look of that stack of files you got there, I should have gone into violent crimes. Maybe these interns loitering in the building had the right idea. I've been wondering about that. There was no one here when I left the computer lab and went into my office to go through my files. Then when I come out, there are people everywhere. It's because of the VCMOP orientation downstairs for the virgins. Here, let me help you with that. I've, I've got it. I'm fine. Why so much? Is that your entire caseload? I wish, and not exactly. These are older cases still open. I took all that I could carry. I'm looking for something in them. Why on earth are you looking for it in hard copy? Was masochism part of your New Year's resolution? I don't believe in those. But my office computer is down, and the case file database is going through an upgrade. Imagine the odds. Are you sure you got all that? I'm sure, thanks. Good luck in court. Lab 3 is a secure area dedicated to authorized personnel only. Invalid key sequence. For access to this area, please swipe your Son of a biscuit! You're one stubborn lady, do you know that? Let me help you this time. I won't take no for an answer. Thank you, Agent Camden. Arthur. Arthur, thank you. Handprint scan in progress. Input matches no. This Template is not my day. I can't Access believe this office denied. still uses a dodgy handprint biometrics. And again, maybe I can. The way this office always takes a beating from budget cuts. Things haven't changed much since my days here. It's being decommissioned next month. Yeah, that's a shame. Good memories here. You don't have your key card? I must have left it in the lab. It's okay. Access granted and logged. Thank you. So have you gotten your reassignment orders? I received notice of what to expect. Thankfully, that won't include being removed from field service. AIC Elliot wasn't so fortunate and plans to submit his resignation. I can't blame him. Not everyone can handle life at a desk. At my age, I haven't much choice. My legs can't take the mileage like they used Estimated to. Estimated time. They're moving me to HQ's overcrowded Major Offender Squad, where I can expect to accomplish no meaningful work. Boys Club politics. I'm not thrilled. But I have no recourse. Well, you may have more options than you know, Jules, but wait for the official order. If you're right, they'll likely have you report to Alan Dockstader, and he's about as reasonable as you'll find as assistant directors go. You wouldn't want Brindley or Kovic. That's off the record, of I course. saw a Dockstader today at HQ for the briefing on the Center City bombing. I was invited to work on the task force for the case. That was rescinded after. I expect because I interrupted when I spotted something in the video stills that he incorporated into his presentation. I thought it was important, and Agent Wakeman did not. That's putting it mildly. You must still think it's important. Yeah, if I know you, that's why you're here. It's a girl on the photo, is it? Who is she? That's what I'm trying to find out with the FRS. 
I've tried four algorithms on three stills. Fairly low quality stills. Bad lighting with her sitting in a car. Facial recognition is a long shot, I know, but she's the reason I've been reviewing my case files, too. I know her face from somewhere. It's bothering me. Haunting me. That girl has quite a haunting face. Haunted eyes. Windows to the soul, they say. Yeah, they remind me of yours, Jules. <gasps> it found one! Ah, uh, see? Your luck today's changing already. That looks like a school picture, and that looks like her! Yeah, the same face, but not the same eyes. Happier times, I'd say. None of the fields are filled in. No name, no case reference numbers. I, I've never seen that. All X's in bold. I've seen it, but there should be a notice. You have selected an unassigned ID number. Please re-enter oh, must be another glitch. That picture was no glitch. Look, that's definitely... Wait, gone! I just, I just saw it! I we both saw it. Call the techies. Maybe the upgrades aren't limited to the case files database. You said that you've seen this before. Where there's just an ID number and all the fields are filled with X's? Well, sure. As I said, there should have been a notice. I don't think that's the case here. I think you have a hiccup in the system. A notice of what, though? Well, it would have been that the information you're after is classified. Residence of Jacob Bunnell, Jr. 315 Calista Drive. Stanbury. Time, 455 p.m. I don't know what more I can provide that I haven't already. All day I've heard nothing but questions about things that I don't know about. I didn't want to know about them. I never, never had anything to do with any of that. I was manager of the club, that's it. I can't help you, Mr. Garrett. You're looking in the wrong place for what you I want. I know this is a difficult time for you, Mr. Janelle, and I sympathize how draining this day has been with you, with all the questioning well, and- What's draining is having friends die and having to talk to their families who want answers. What's draining is knowing that you got weeks full of funerals ahead of you and ramifications from this tragedy coming from so many freaking directions that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Being drilled and looked at like you're a sack of rat droppings by cops all day isn't draining. It's outrageous. I tried to be as helpful as I could with you guys, but I've had enough of cops for one day. I'm not a cop, as I told you. I'm an FIS special agent. Yeah, which is another way of saying that you're a cop who dresses nice. I was stuck in a cramped room with you FIS people for five hours straight this morning about what happened, which I barely had the time to process. I told them everything I knew about my father's crimes and his shadow businesses. That's not much, and that's the honest truth. I don't know what I'll else. handle this, Jake. Agent Garrett, this has gone on far enough. My client has suffered terrible personal losses in the past 24 hours. He has fully if cooperated. you will allow me just one minute to explain, I do not believe that you are withholding any vital information. I believe you haven't been asked the right questions. As you're aware, the official position of the task force on the case is that this is organized crime related, that it's a dramatic hit from You're talking to me now, not my client. You seem to be implying that there is an unofficial position. There's not an unofficial position. There's my position, which is off the record, but why I'm here. I take great risk in saying so. I hope you might appreciate my candor. My only agenda is finding the truth, and I do not believe the truth is related to your father's criminal life, necessarily. Will my client's statements to you today be off the record? Yes. Are you sure that 
you don't need to make a call to verify that you can offer that kind of discretion. I won't tell if you don't tell. I'm already outside the lines of procedure, but I'm desperate. I've spent the last seven hours talking to friends and associates of Mr. Tunnell Sr., who have been evasive when asked the most innocent questions. If there's any hope at all of finding the one responsible for his death, I need a place to start. I trust that your client shares my interest in the way he lost his father. Okay, you can both stop talking as if I'm not here. Jake, this is your call, but I advise against it. I still don't think I'll be able to help you, Agent. But let's get something straight about my father. We weren't that close. My old man was a bastard through and through. He cared about money and respect. He cared about his selfish pursuit of things. Even the things that only existed in his crazy head were more important to him. He cared about himself. That's where the caring stopped with him. I'm sorry. You can't choose your parents, but you can choose how to live your life. You should be able to choose anyway. My father made the choice for me. I wouldn't have chosen a life where the quality of it's defined by what that man does. Where I'm judged as if I were an extension of him or having to constantly look over my shoulder and fear who might be coming for me and my kids to get to him. He didn't care about all that, except to give us protection. I thought about getting away, trying to start over with my family. We wouldn't be protected and there's no getting away with it. Maybe you could have gotten away with that on old earth where our ancestors came from, but this world is too small for that. There's nowhere to hide. You might be surprised. That's speaking as someone who has turned the five islands upside down looking for fugitives who didn't want to be found. But I shouldn't have to live like a fugitive either. I've done nothing wrong. I've done the best I can. I'm sorry that I dumped on you like that. Listen, I couldn't care less about my father, and it was bound to happen sooner or later. But there are people who died that I did very much care about. I'll help however I can, if I can. What would you like to ask? Was there anything significant about the new year for your father that you're aware of? Not that I know of. Was there anything out of the ordinary for him going on? Changes in behavior? Did he seem unnecessarily tense or stressed? Ornery? As I told you, I didn't talk to him that much. The how, if anything, he seemed happier. He gave the bartenders bonuses for the holidays. I mean, I would call that out of the ordinary, I suppose. Acts of generosity aren't really his thing unless he's getting something in return. Or when he knows something good is coming his way, scoring points for his karma, <laughs> he could be superstitious like that. But really, who knows what went on in his head? Let me focus on the something good coming his way. Do you have any idea what that might have been? Something in his personal life, perhaps? Ah, uh, could be. I didn't know much about that either. I thought maybe it had to do with adding a new piece to his collection. I mean, as I said, he was, uh, he was very much into things, you know, uh, art. Antiquities, rare things, new toys to play with. So we're on the same page here. What do you mean by toys? Uh, gadgets. You know, one of the few fond memories of my father when I was a boy was him showing off his latest fascination. He, he was like a little kid when it came to those things. Hologram projectors, robots, levitating chairs, metamaterial cloaks, you name it. Interesting. I understand that New Year's is one of the busiest nights of the year at the Vortex nightclub, but you took the day off to be home with your family. I did the same last year. I checked in periodically to see how things were going. I checked in just before midnight by phone, as I said in my statement to your people. There was a mention of some glitches in the surveillance system, but other than that, everything sounded fine. Was there any mention of a guest who called himself Mr. Cook? My father's guests, as you call them. Did, did you... Did you say Mr. Cook? 
He was your father's last appointment and may be involved in what happened. <laughs> ah, oh, that old fool. Unbelievable. <laughs> There's a perfect example of my father's weird streak. <laughs> I doubt that Cook is involved. He's a street urchin without a pot to piss in and nuts. You know this man? Ah, I met him once. He approached me outside the bar one night and saying that he needed to contact my father and he gave me a crinkled smelly piece of paper with a phone number on it and I said, yeah, whatever. I planned to throw it out and forget about it, but the guy told me to tell my father something and that he would know what it meant. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> the, uh, Hexgate disc. Okay. This is some kind of media disc? Computer disc? No, it's nothing like that. Do you know what he was referring to then? Well, I didn't at the time. Not until I told my father some days later. We're wasting time even talking about it. This is nutcase territory, right up there with same earth conspiracies and aliens living among us. I told you my father had a weird side. <laughs> well, a hexgate disc is one of those mythical paradox artifacts. You know, those magical objects that are supposedly hidden throughout the islands. <laughs> Do you believe in magic, Agent Carrot? Sure. Until I know how the trick is done. My father believed in that wacko crap. He actually paid people to look for them and spread the word that he was offering rewards. That's what Cook was after, no doubt, money. What he would have passed off as this make-believe thing, I don't know, but my father might have bought it. I, he, he delighted in going after things that he couldn't otherwise have. That was his favorite pursuit. Oh, I guess he got to the point where he had to move on to things that don't exist at all. Did your father talk about Mr. Cook at all? I never heard anything more about it. Describe Mr. Cook for me. Dark hair, long and tangled. He was tall, a little taller than me, probably 6'2 or 3. Dusty coat. He wore a suit underneath, but it was dirty and wrinkled like he picked it out of the trash or he'd been wearing it for a long time without a What walk. about his eyes? Do you remember his eyes? No, I didn't see him. He wore sunglasses both times I saw him, and it was dark both times. That's more than a little weird... You talked to him more than once. What? You said both times. No, I saw him more than once. The last time it was just in passing. He was in an alley a few blocks down where the hobos hang out. I saw him walking with Socrates. Socrates? As in the philosopher? Uh, that's what they call him. He's a West Island reject. He's always spouting off crazy stuff from plays or whatever else. He tries to get into the club now and then, but we've had problems with him in the past. We try to keep out the riffraff as much as possible even when they've managed to scrape up the change for the cover charge. Aha, you can't miss him. Scraggly beard and hair, he looks like he's wearing a dirty wig under a top hat. He sounds charming. Gilroy, Homeless Shelter. 14, Wardley Street. Center City. Time, 7.05 p.m. Please be advised that the kitchen of the shelter will close at 7.30 p.m. Hey, my soup, my soup! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, my, 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 my! Oh, you care about it? My, 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 my! Watch this! My, 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 my! Go with caution, I beseech! Mines everywhere! Everywhere! The enemy stops at nothing to defile you! Get thee to a shrubbery! Nunnery, Captain! Nunnery! You made nunnery! Get thee to the nunnery for shrubberies! Do it at once! The state of the world hangs by the sack of your scrotum today, soldier! Hey! That's enough! Let the guy go! Come on, Jenkins, Socrates, that's enough! It's that time again, guys! Time for you to leave! Not until we are undressed as our proper ranks! Captain Socrates, General Jenkins! He's an admiral! And an admirable admiral at that! 
Okay, Captain Socrates and Admiral Jenkins, please, if you will, go on your way. The Pan shall hear of your ignorance. <laughs> oh, the Pan. <laughs> Come, Admiral Jenkins. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would tip my hat to you fine rabble, but my head is unsightly with holes. I do. You got holes in the head, Captain. <laughs> holes. holes in my head, in my shoes, in my heart, in my layers of coats, and in my underwear. And it's to my honor, Admiral Jenkins. If only we lived in a better world, where all my countrymen could be so well ventilated and bursting with soup and unwholesome sunshine. I hate the peas in the soup. They put peas in it. I don't like the peas. They put peas in it. I don't like the peas. They put voices in the peas and they steal your thoughts. It's the With the hands of broken clocks to pick the yammering teeth of their bum cheeks. For they couldn't handle the breadth of the butter which lubricates the intricate works of the fettuccine trapped between these all-seeing ears. Eat them I shall, until I'm bursting with P and Q's on all my screws. Choosers can't be beggars, don't you know? Unless they choose to beg and beg to choose. It's scandalous to choose to lose and to lose the choosing. Highly irregular. Eat the peas, so you may grow to be a healthy coconut. I'm not a coconut, Captain. I don't want to be oh, a coconut. Oh, you are, Admiral. A lovely coconut. How the monkeys marvel the sight of you on their banana trees. This way, this way. Don't step on a banana. Feathering the metaphor, I knew I could count on you. But I slipped on the banana years ago, my good Admiral. And I've never been wrong since. What a fabulous array of junk. We must shop here sometime. Cobras, cobras, let's get a warm cell. Warm cell, food, 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 food. Gentlemen, please, hold it right there. You're not in any trouble. I'd just like to ask you good citizens some questions. Here's the walk of a cop and the talk of them, the enemy. He's not what he claims. Remember, Cook, Mr. Cook, shh, quick, behind the dumpster. Hey, come out from behind here right now. I'm armed. Yes, Do yes, not yes, yes, make yes, yes, yes. me shoot. Voila. Put your hands up and come out from there. Slowly. You're Donald Jenkins. Where's your friend? Where did he go? He's here. He's here, right here. Socrates, come on out. You wouldn't want your friend to get hurt, would you? Where the hell did he go? Oh, you're in trouble now. I'm in trouble now. Trouble, trouble, trouble. <laughs> or oh, it's time for dinner. Captain's gonna call. Socrates, this is your last warning. This phaser pistol has two settings. Guess which one it's on. I just want to talk. Nobody has to get hurt. I know who you really are, Socrates. I know your name. Your real name. I don't know, Captain. Captain wants to cook. Does your friend here know? Huh? Oh, the pan. The pan, the pan! The pan. G-Shop! 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 It sounded like G-Shop! Fascinating! I pegged him as a D. Oh, he must be out of tune. No more guns for you, young man. Captain's orders. Take it, Admiral Jenkins. Take it and point it, but don't shoot him unless I say shoot! No, 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 not yet! You almost hit him, and I almost made a poopy! Not proper procedure, not proper, not proper! Not unless I say it again. Where, where were you? Where did you? Yeah. Oh my god, it's true. You, uh, you Silence! Or I shall have to make more music. I didn't come here to hurt you. 
Somebody wants to talk to you, that's all. I'm supposed to bring you back. That's it. Come on, don't point the pistol at me. Come on. Here, here. For the captain desires to commemorate the evisceration of our commiseration to the fools who brought us entertainment in the foul form of this foul fool who shall be dubbed G-Sharp from this day. Do you know who sent me? Do you know who you're dealing with? I'll give them my pass and I'll piss off, Kiss. Warn them off. For if they trifle with the captain, their balls shall be cooked and devoured by the admiral. I don't want to eat balls. I don't want to know balls. You're insane. You idiots have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. There'll be more where I came from. You can't run. Who the hell do you think you are? A man with a pan. On the next episode of Edict Zero, FIS. The caller is Marcus Briggs. I contacted him. Don't worry. You want me to go over my boss's head? Do you know what you're asking me to do? Yes. The right thing. For now, you have exposed some new avenues which warrant further investigation. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. You and a few other agents. Other agents? I'm sure that he resents that we were assigned to babysit him. You don't think that Doc's data? I sense that he expects us to keep him in line, yes. You know Garrett's reputation. Professor, hold on. Did you say briefcase somewhere in there? Oh, yes. A bomb and a briefcase with which to conduct serious business. Interesting. Socrates? Socrates? You mean Socrates? Damn, that man ain't got nothing for you and anybody else but a whole lot of crazy. Who goes there? Who defiles the plump bosoms of my sanctuary? Thank you for listening to this episode of Edict Zero FIS. Music and ambience heard on the show come from Nine Inch Nails, 50 Foot Wave, ERH, and Kevin McLeod. Other music and sound effects come from Public Domain Show Producer and Slipgate 9 Studio Resources, as well as material released freely on the internet through such venues as the Internet Archive. Look to the show credits on the website for more information. This show was produced by series creator Jack and Kate, James Keller, Julie Hoverson, and Jane Eastman. Associate producers C. Edward Reed and Thomas Glan. This episode is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. For more information on Edict Zero FIS, visit its home at edictzero.wordpress.com or the Slipgate 9 Entertainment Production Blog at slipgate9.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. All right, and that was the first episode of Edict Zero by Slipgate 9 Entertainment. Jack Kincaid is the producer there. Um, edictzero.wordpress.com, edictzero.wordpress.com to learn more. Um, they're up to six, uh, seven episodes now, actually. Uh, yeah, by the time you hear this, you might be able to uh, check out their seventh episode, um, edictzero.wordpress.com. And if you just want to stick around here, we'll have more of that uh, coming for you next week. And of course, and of course, of course, of course, in the meantime, over 150 hours, maybe more, of original audio drama programming and reviews at radiodramarevival.com. Learn all about the latest audio drama news um, by following us on Twitter, uh, at Radiodrama. You search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival. Or even more importantly, if you need to subscribe to the show or uh, review the show, I uh, would love it if you could review our show on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. All right, and that wraps it up for this week. Radio Drum Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers. Do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drum Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. 
Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.